Amen. That's the way we ought to feel. It's real easy for us to just get complacent and lackadaisical. And, you know, one of the things that always helps me, and, uh, and by the way, I think we all need a revival every day. Uh, I think we're responsible to be revived every day. But one of the things that helps is to look back to that time when you first trusted Christ as your Savior. And just think about how it was then, how you, how you felt. Now, I, I know you can never totally relive the moment, but I'll tell you one thing, you can remember it. And you, you can just reflect back to the peace and the joy that you had and the, the desire that you had, especially for other people to come to know Christ as their Savior. Open your Bibles, please, tonight to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 19. 1 Kings, chapter number 19. For a long time now, we've been thinking about where is the Lord God of Elijah? Verse 19, so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, Kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. The Bible is very clear about the fact that God expects us to serve Him. A lot of people can quote Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse 8 and 9, but not so many can quote verse number 10. He says, for we are His workmanship. That word workmanship means masterpiece. We are His masterpiece. We become what He makes us to be. So it's not at all what we are doing for Him. It's entirely what He is doing through us. That's what makes the difference. We are His masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about the fact that we who had been the slaves, the servants to sin, having been delivered from sin, now that we become the servants of righteousness. And on and on we can go through the Bible, God establishing that fact that I not only want to save you, I want to use you. And the question is this, do you have a servant's heart? Do you have a servant's heart? Our text tells us about a man who did, and his name was Elisha. 
And in this section here, just three verses long, we see a mountain of truth. It's the story of two men. Elijah is in the twilight of a successful ministry. The other, Elisha, is a young plowboy straight from the farm. He comes from the farm to the front line of Christian service. He comes from the plow to the pulpit, so to speak. And his story reminds us of the attitude that is necessary if we're going to be used by the Lord. So let's think tonight about a servant's heart. Do you have a servant's heart? Notice what he tells us here regarding Elisha. Look at verse number 19. Just one word here establishes the first point, and that is that he's willing to share in social duties. That is, he's willing to work. Notice the word plowing. Now remember, there's been a long drought, three and a half years, no rain. And so finally, the rain has come, and now the work begins. wouldn't do any good to plow without any rain. You've got to have the moisture in order to grow crops. And so now, through the ministry of Elijah, rain has come down, so all of the people are busy tilling the land, sowing the seed, and among all of those people, we find Elisha the son of Saphat. Now, evidently, Saphat was evidently a wealthy man and a godly man. And I say that in the first place because he has 12 yoke of oxen. So, I mean, he's got, uh, he's got a pretty good business established. Not just some little local farmer out there somewhere that just, you know, just got one old ox that's half dead, but he's got 12 yoke of oxen. So he's got some money. And also, I said that it seems that he must have been a godly man because he names his son Elisha. Notice, Elisha means God is salvation. So here is a father that evidently was concerned about his son and concerned even about the nation. And Elisha is a working man, and the way that it's worded, it seems like that he is probably a working foreman. In other words, his daddy has put him over the crew because he's plowing with the twelfth yoke of oxen. In other words, he's in a position to look back and he's observing what all of the other workers are doing and he is involved in it. Now, plowing of any type can be backbreaking work, but when you think about plowing like they did back then, I mean, that's a whole different ballgame. You want to do some plowing today, go down and see Bubba and get one of them John Deere tractors. And Is it John Deere, Bubba? Huh? Not now, okay. What do you sell now? Case. Get you one of them case tractors. I mean, man, you can just sit on that thing and get out there and just motor right along, but not so back then. I mean, can you imagine being out there in the hot sun plowing with a yoke of oxen? And that's where we find him. Back-breaking hard work. This is where Elijah finds Elisha. Now, there's an important lesson here, and that is that God uses people who are industrious. Now think about it here. David, as young as he was, David was keeping the sheep. Gideon was threshing wheat. Uh, uh, Peter was fishing. Matthew was collecting taxes. But, but all of them were doing something. 
The only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary. God's looking for people that are willing to work. And I've discovered over the years, if you want to get something done in the church, you just find somebody that's already busy, somebody that's working, and they're much more likely to do it for you than somebody just sitting on the sidelines. If you're going to be used of God, you better learn to work, and listen to me, and to love it. To work and to love it. And God expects us to have that kind of an attitude toward work. Being a hard worker. Now, I'm, listen, I'm not talking about just working in the church. We certainly ought to be hard at work in the church at whatever our ministry is. And it's so frustrating to see somebody, you know, that'll take a position in the church and they, you know, they'll volunteer, I want to do this and I want to do that. And so you give them a position in the church and then they just go through it half-heartedly. Just go through the motions. And if you're not there nagging at them all the time, you just know that it's not going to get done. There are people like that and it shouldn't be like that. Young people, let me tell you, if you want God to use you, you better learn to work. And before you're qualified to work in the church, you better be willing to work out there in the world because you are a pitiful example. If you're not willing to get out here and work and earn your bread by the sweat of your brow like God intended, you see, God honors work and God commands that we work. And God says, if a man won't work, neither shall he eat. There's no place for laziness in God's work and among God's people. We're going to be involved in doing something for the Lord, then the Bible says what? That we are to do it heartily as unto the Lord, putting everything we've got into it. So when Elijah, in the twilight of his ministry, is about to step off of the scene, and he's looking, as it were, for somebody that will pick up the mantle, somebody that will continue on in the ministry, who's he looking for? He's looking for a young man that's working. Let me tell you right now, the future of this church, those of us that are older and when we're dead and gone, if you young people don't pick up the ball and carry it on, nobody will. Somebody's got to do that. And if you don't learn to work, I'll tell you right now, you might as well close the doors to the church. Because it won't work unless you work. Because you are the church. Secondly... A man with a servant heart is not only willing to serve, even in social duties, but he's willing to submit to authority. Look at verse 19. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Now, you can be sure that he knew who Elijah was. Everybody did. I mean, he's the most famous prophet in all of the land. And can you imagine how he must have felt when he sees Elijah coming down the road and he gets closer and closer and finally he gets right up next to the young man. He takes off the mantle and puts it on the shoulders of this young plowboy. You see, that mantle was a symbol of his prophetic office. It's a symbol of his authority as a man of God. And in doing this, he is extending a call to this young man. Now, it's possible that he spoke and said so much, but that's not stated. I mean, there's no explanation whatsoever. 
He just takes the mantle off, puts it on his shoulders, and I, I suspect that no words were necessary because Elisha got the picture. He knew exactly what was going on. Notice what he said. It says he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And notice this. Elisha has only one request. Verse 20, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow thee. Now, this tells us a lot about his character. He wants to leave in the right way. He did not just walk off the job without an explanation. He sets things in order first, and that's the way that it ought to be. A lot of folks have never learned that there is a proper way to leave the church. There's a proper way to resign your duty as a Sunday school teacher or as an officer or whatever. There's a proper way to do it. You don't. Listen, if you are a person of character, you don't just walk off the job. I remember the first full-time job that I had many years ago. Worked for the Greene County Surveyor's Office, and I was uh, I was making uh, seventy five cents an hour, and that wasn't too bad back then. You know, I could make about thirty dollars a week that way, and uh, and so Bev and I had just got married and realized that I've got to have more money than this. So I, I went into I went into the county surveyor and uh, my boss and said, look, I just got married. I've got to have a raise. I hadn't been there all of that long, and here I am in there wanting a raise. And he said, well, you know, I'm sorry I can't do it. And I said, well, I'm sorry I'm out of here, and just walked out the door and left. Do you know I have regretted that ever since that time? That was not the right way to do it. And I never, I never made that mistake again. Learn how to leave in the right way when you're stopping whatever it is you're doing. It just, you know, it just burns me up to get a, you know, somebody miss a few services and all of a sudden the next thing you get is a letter saying, we are requesting, uh, uh, you know, that you grant a letter for so and so. And really there's a part of me that says you've got to be kidding. I mean it. That's no way to leave, folks. He said, I want to go back home. I want to kiss my daddy. I want to kiss my mama. Now listen, if we're going to get serious about serving God, and we'll see it maybe later on, it requires a sacrifice on our part, and we sometimes have to leave our family as it were. But listen, he could have just walked off the job and said, well, somebody tell Dad I'm not going to be at work anymore. I've gone into the ministry. I've become a preacher. He wanted to go back. He knew there was a mother and a daddy that cared about him, and he goes back to tie up all of those loose ends. That's the way that it ought to be. But notice in, in, in conjunction with that, he submits himself to the authority of Elijah. Now, you see, following always comes before leading. If you're not willing to follow, you're not qualified to lead. You want to find a good leader, you find somebody that's a good follower. 
The Bible says a lot about submission to authority, and it's important in every area of our life that we submit to the authority that God places over us. And a lot of folks, you know, they want to submit to authority only so long as it goes their way. Listen, the real test comes whenever things don't go your way. Now, we all realize that we should never follow anyone to do something that's prohibited in the Bible. If it's unscriptural, don't follow. But if it's not unscriptural, then we're obligated to follow the authority God puts over us. You want to be used to God? If you have a servant's heart, you'll be willing to follow. I've seen a lot of people over the years that they wanted a position, they wanted a title, they wanted to have some authority, they wanted to rule over other people. And the one thing I always look for ahead of everything else is, are they willing to be a good follower? Have they proven themselves? Learn to be a good follower and God will make you a good leader. Look at verse 21. Here's the third thing about having a servant's heart. And that is that Elisha was willing to serve in a supportive role. Then he arose and went after Elijah, and what what did he do? And ministered unto him. How do you serve God? Have you ever thought about that? How do you serve God? You say, well, I want to serve God. How do you do it? There's a lot of things involved in serving God, but one of the most essential elements in serving God is that we give ourselves to the work of meeting the needs of other people. That's what it's all about. You can't serve God without ministering to people. It's got to be that way. Amen. And it says here that he, he, he ran and began to minister unto Elisha. In other words, before he became his successor, he was what? He was his servant. God's preparing a man to fill the shoes of the great and mighty preacher Elijah, and he chooses a man that's willing to follow the man. If you look in 2 Kings chapter number 3 and verse 11, you'll see that Elisha had a reputation among the people for being willing to serve in a supportive role. It says that he poured water on the hands of Elijah. I've seen a lot of young preachers that wanted to be, you know, a pastor of a big, growing, flourishing church, and they wanted to be well-known and preach revival meetings all across the land, but they were not willing to serve in a supportive role to somebody else. They wanted their name in the limelight. They didn't want to wait their turn. They wanted to step into the limelight, not willing to serve others. I don't know that there's any way I could overemphasize how important it is for us to be willing to serve in a supportive role. You, you folks that do that, you are to be commended. Everybody can't be the music director. We can have only one music director. That's all we can have, folks. I mean, if you've got more than one, you've got chaos. And those that work in the music ministry that serve in a supportive role ought to do everything in their power to help this man be the very best music director that he can possibly be. 
Be there as a supporter, helping him in every way, encouraging him. And the same thing is true in Awana, in Sunday school, in every ministry that we've got. To be there supporting those that God has placed over us. Doing the things that sometimes, most of the time, that nobody else wants to do. I'm not very much glamorous about working up there in the sound room. But I want to tell you, they can, they can cut this off in a heartbeat. Just, you know, flip a switch and I'm, I'm almost out of business. Well, you know, I can keep preaching, but we're not, we're not recording the broadcast or anything like that. Uh, the, the light, they can turn the lights out in here. You see, all of these things are very important. And we need to understand that. That just because you don't do what somebody else does does not mean you're any less important than what they are. And we need to consider what we do as a ministry to God, even though that ministry involves supporting somebody else. And it shouldn't make any difference who gets the credit for it. Amen. By the way, if we do it with the right motive, we won't care who gets the credit. But I'll guarantee you in some way or another, God will honor, God will bless, God will reward those that are willing to do this. Now, I want you to notice in verse 20 again, another thing about a servant's heart that we see in the life of Elijah is that he's willing to separate himself. Notice what it says, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow thee. Christian service always calls for separation from something, even good things. If you're going to be serious about serving God, you've got to give up some good things. I guess that as a young man, my two passions in life had to do with hunting and, and playing ball. I mean, I loved it. I lived for that. I mean, I've worked as many as 16 hours a day and drive for an hour or two and get there in time to play a softball game. We played fast-pitch softball. I'm talking about triple A, the highest caliber. In one year, we played 60-some softball games plus 30-some semi-pro baseball games. We was the champions of Missouri and Arkansas in semi-pro baseball. We went to the World Series and in fast-pitch softball, finished second in the whole world. And I mean, that, I live for that. But I'll tell you, it wasn't 30 days after I surrendered to preach that I realized I can't do this. Because I cannot serve God. I cannot do what God wants me to do and be gone on the weekends playing, playing these silly games. So I quit and started playing on the church softball team. All my life I'd wanted a good bird dog. Now I know this seems like silly stuff to you all, but understand where I'm coming from because these are things that really mattered to me uh, back as a young man. I, I finally got that most wonderful bird dog in the world. Man, I, I, he was great. She was great. Awesome bird dog. And I tell you, it wasn't a matter of just about one quail season. I realized I can't do this, and so I sold my bird dog. I'm telling you, folks, Dad said one time to me, he kept trying to get me to go fishing, and, and, and I couldn't go. He always wanted to go on the weekend. He said, well, don't you, don't you like to hunt and fish anymore? I said, Dad, I love to hunt and fish, 
now as much as I ever have. I love it, but I found something that's more important, and that something is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can't be gone on the Lord's day doing that stuff. I'm telling you, there's a price to pay if you get serious about serving God. And it might involve things, even good things, innocent things. It might even involve people. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, there are times that you have to be separated from people. I, I've, uh, in, in raising our eight, eight children, and Bev can tell you, and it's not always been easy, we've had to raise our children apart from their grandparents because serving the Lord, it was just a very short time there at the beginning, just a few years that I pastored in, in Missouri and where we were close enough. And after that, we were gone. I mean, we were fortunate to see our, you know, the kids' grandparents one time a year. And that's the price that you have to pay. Now, I don't say that wanting you to feel sorry for me. I, that's not the point at all. But I'm telling you, some people say, well, you know, I just, I, I just can't serve the Lord. I don't have time for this. Sure. Listen, you've got time for everything in your life that is the most important thing in your life. You've always got time for that. And the Bible tells us the cost of discipleship never changes. Never. It's the same today as it was back then. What is it? It's everything. Unless a man is willing to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus said he can't be my disciple. That's still true today. You ask yourself, do I have a servant's heart? Can I really say I am a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary for the sake of following the Lord? Elisha is leaving his mom and his dad, his family, his job and everything. He's leaving it all. Separating himself from good things and good people. Now, verse 21. Here's another thing regarding having a servant's heart. And in verse 21, it says, And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. And then he arose and went after Elisha and ministered unto him. Now notice, here we see his willingness to sacrifice. Instead of complaining, what does he do? He celebrates. Instead of fasting, he makes a feast. Now, I don't have any idea what the monetary value of, of those two oxen were, but I'm sure it was substantial. It cost him something. And so he decides that he's going to have a feast here, evidently. In other words, this is a special occasion, and he's serving steaks, not hot dogs. <laughs> steaks, not hot dogs. I mean, listen, he has butchered the beef. He's had the Texas barbecue. I mean, he's putting food on the table, and there is a celebration. You see, this was so special in his life that he wanted to share it with everybody else. He's burning the bridges behind him. He's getting ready to enter this new phase of his life, and there's a celebration. I'll never forget the day that I made it public there at the Community Baptist Church that I had surrendered to preach. My pastor, Brother Hankins, had me to stand, as we still commonly do today, at the end of the service. And so after the benediction, the people came around and they, you know, expressed their, their thankfulness or whatever and tried to encourage me. And 
I'll never forget, we had one fellow there. He's a Bible college student. Uh, I think recently had graduated. He was about 6'6 and somewhere close to 300 pounds. He looked just like Clark Kent, the guy that played Superman. Big old thick glasses and Man, he come around there, and I, he got me in a bear hug, and I thought he was going to squeeze the life out of me. And he was bawling and squalling. You could hear him. And after all, I was wondering, good night, what's going on? I mean, why is he so excited about this? I mean, I knew I was excited, but I didn't know anybody else got that excited. Now, here's my point, folks. When you see people surrendering their life to serve the Lord whether it's being a preacher or whatever it is, we need to do everything in our power to celebrate that moment and to encourage them. Uh, Listen, he's got the attitude, and this is what I love about it, the fact that he considers it a special privilege to be able to serve God, and he's not doing it in the spirit of gloom, but rather of gladness. He's happy about it, rejoicing. I just get sick and tired when I hear preachers get up and talk about the great cost and the great sacrifice that they made and all of the money they left and what have you for the sake of following the Lord Jesus Christ. I, you know, just like, you know, I'm doing it, but oh boy, it's really been costly. We don't have anything to complain about. Amen. So glorious privilege. And God expects us to do it with joy. I, let me go back to Deuteronomy and I, I want to remind you of something I've read on several occasions, Deuteronomy 28. And I don't think we take this as serious as we ought to. But I want you to listen to what the Lord says to the people of Israel. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with... Are you there? What does that say? Deuteronomy 28, 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shall thou serve thine enemies. You see, God expects us to do what we do with a joyful, grateful heart. Motive matters to God. We should never have the attitude, oh, well, i got to go to church Sunday, you know, I... Well, I guess my, my turn's up to sing this week. I guess I, I guess I got to get something ready. I, I've, I've seen parents oftentimes complain because their son uh, surrendered to the uh, to the ministry, or or because their daughter married a preacher. And that is a bit scary. But I want to tell you, there ought to be a celebration. There ought to be a time of rejoicing, not gloom. Now, one more thing. Look at verse 20 again. Here's the last thing I want you to see about having a servant's heart. He's willing to seize an opportunity. Verse 20, he left. I said he left and he ran. I love this. He's not moping around with this attitude that says, Oh, man, I've got to do this. He's running. And he couldn't wait to get started. Instead of saying, I've got to do this, he's saying, I get to do this. Do you see the difference? It makes all the difference in the world. I get to do this. 
That's the attitude that we ought to have. I get to go to church Sunday. I get to be with God's people Sunday. I get to sing praise to God Sunday. I get to read the Bible Sunday. You could be blind, or you could live in a part of the world where you don't even have a Bible. I get to do this. What a glorious privilege it is. Successful servants seize the opportunity. That's what he does. He didn't say, now look, I need 30 days to think about this or to pray about this. He sees the door of opportunity. And you notice that Elijah sort of put him to the test, did he not? He said, I want to go back and kiss Daddy and kiss Mom and tell them goodbye. He said, well, go on. What have I done to you? What have I done? And I don't know, if I understand, I just kind of get the impression, well, you know, there's the road. If you want to go, if you decide to stay, that's up to you. I mean, there's no begging and pleading. Oh, no, no, please, please, come on. I've got to have somebody to step in my shoes. I've got to have somebody to continue this ministry. No, no, no. The opportunity is there, and he takes advantage of it. There are many examples of this in the Bible. I think about about David and the opportunity that God gave him, and David took it. And I think about Esther, and remember, it says, you know, maybe you come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Such a time as this. God has given us the wonderful opportunity to be used in His service. We get to do it. Lord, rejoice in it. And we need to take advantage of it. Remember Isaiah? And the Lord said, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I've got a work to do. Now, the nature of the work should not make any difference whatsoever. If God is speaking to your heart and He simply says, Look, I've got a work to do. And so many times we don't know what it is and where is it and how much it pays and on and on and on. We've got our list. And Lord, if it's in the right state, if it's the right thing and pays the right amount, I might be interested in that. But Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm ready. He didn't inquire. He just knew this is what God wanted. And he says, I'm ready. Send me. I volunteer. I've got an opportunity. I'm going to take it. I've known God to use a lot of people that didn't have a whole lot of talent But I've never, as old Bob Jones used to say, I've never known man that would not take advantage of an opportunity. And that's true. If God gives you an opportunity, you need to latch on to it, folks. Why? Well, Jesus said it best. He always does. He said, The night cometh when no man can work, when the day of opportunity is over. And you don't think much about that when you're younger, but the older you get, the more you start thinking about it. I told the guys out the other day whenever we was looking at the property, I said, you know, watching, seeing all of this stuff that God's doing, it just it makes, me, makes me wish I was 40 again. 40 and have all of those years in front of me. And I realize I'm not 40 anymore, and but that's all right. But I'm just telling you, as you get older, you begin to realize that time is short. And sometimes you start thinking about, you know, maybe I need to cut this out and cut that out. I started that morning manna, and 
and, and God is just really blessed. I just can't. I, I I don't have enough words or the right words to tell you the ways that God's using. Sometimes I I, I don't sleep very well at night, and so nearly every morning I'm up by four, sometimes up three o'clock, and and uh, and and I'll get up and go in there on the computer and. And, and I'll start thinking about what what am I, what what you know what am I going to write today or what am I going to find today, and I'll start searching and looking for stuff. And and there's been a few times I thought, you know, maybe I ought to just quit this, maybe I ought to just stop it. I and and then I then I get a like I did last week a preacher that that morning early Sunday morning. He had already received the morning manna, and he sent me a he sent me an email saying, "Brother Stone, that was really good. I'm going to use that in my sermon today." And I thought, "Well, that's great." I got home from church, and that afternoon, the same preacher sent me an email saying, "You know, I used the morning manna as the introduction to my sermon. We had two adults saved in the service today." Now I, I, I just imagine that what he preached was, you know. You know that you know that little morning manna was just a little old bitty part of it. But listen, here's the point: it was a little bitty part of it. Amen. And whatever it is you're doing for the Lord, these guys that usher out here and stuff, you can think, oh, that's just a little bitty part of the overall ministry, right? But it's a part of it. It's Amen. everything we do, Amen. and we all have this opportunity. I pray that we might have a servant's heart. And when God says, look, I've opened this door, we'll say, here am I. Send me. I'm ready. Let's stand together.